but please do open your Bible to the 22nd chapter of Revelation, the very last book in the, in the Bible, the very last chapter of that book, the Apocalypse of Jesus Christ, chapter 22. So this is a, a larger section that we have for us to consider, um, well, to read this evening. We're not going to get to everything that's in it. It'll probably take a couple more weeks to get to everything that is in it. We're just going to be looking at the first two verses uh, this evening. But for now, let's get right to it. Let's read God's Word. Yeah, brother? Uh, what was it, Revelation 1? 22. Yeah, there's an outline in the, in the back on the chair when you walked in, near where you walk in. So let's read the text. Again, we'll read the whole remainder of the chapter, and then we'll pray, and then we'll um, get to it. So the public reading of God's Word, beginning at verse 6 in Revelation 22. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for, for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book, and if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in in the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with us all. Amen. That ends the reading of God's holy, inspired and sufficient word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful to you for your providential care and protection in our lives, Lord, and for giving us the opportunity to be here tonight to open up your word together. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would make it profitable, that you would illuminate the text for us, that you would help us to know you as you've revealed yourself in your word. Help us, Lord, to think biblically about all things and to have a worldview that is formed by what you have revealed, not what uh, the powers of this world want us to believe. Help us, Lord, to know all truth and guide us into it. For Christ's glory's sake, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, we come now to the end of this glorious book, and there's something important to notice here. There's something important to notice in the conclusion. The conclusion does something that is very helpful to us, and it reminds us that this book, perhaps you could say even above all else, is in fact a letter. 
It's an epistle. And that, that tells us something very important, something that is often very lost on many contemporary readers of this book. Remember, I've mentioned a couple times at least over the course of these sermons that many people really don't know what to do with this book, with Revelation. It's pretty common for many pastors to just preach on the first three chapters alone even and, and then just have like no public comments on chapter 4 all the way through 22 and the rest of the book. Uh, sometimes that's done because there is this underlying assumption that people have that the rest of the book is not for us, that it's describing a future time after a secret rapture or, or even after a literal thousand-year millennium. And I've tried to show over the course of these 63 sermons that that is not the case, that all 22 of these chapters are speaking not only to the original audience, but to us today and to every believer who is living in this period of time in between Jesus' first and second coming, uh, the millennium, in other words. Now, it's true that Revelation is very unique. It is very special, we could say, especially for a New Testament book. It draws very heavily upon the Old Testament and the apocalyptic language of the Old Testament, it contains many visions, and it communicates uh, largely through symbols and through apocalyptic imagery and prophetic language. But it's still a letter at its heart. It's still a letter. It is information that is given to encourage and to instruct and to warn all who receive it. Like the Apostle Paul's letter uh, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 1-2. Or Jude's letter to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, Jude 1. The book of Revelation was a letter written by John the Apostle to the seven churches that are in Asia, Revelation 1-4. The conclusion of this book reminds us of, of this fact as it breaks from its cycle of visions to conclude as you would expect a letter to conclude. There are closing words here. You see, this is a book that is meant for people, for Christians, that is, to read and to understand and to believe and to apply here and now. Its purpose is to reveal. Remember that that is what the book is called, the revealing, the revelation, the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ. It is for the purpose of edifying and, and exhorting the Christian in this life. And what is the exhortation and encouragement that is found here within? Well, the book of Revelation, from beginning to end, was written to encourage Christians to walk faithfully here and now. It, this book is written from beginning to end to discourage worldliness and idolatry as it promotes holiness and faithfulness and worship to the one true triune God. The book reveals these things not so that people can like make these wild charts and speculate about future events down to the minute detail of what will happen. It's not meant to satisfy our curiosity about the future, but rather to promote faithfulness and perseverance among those who profess Jesus Christ as Lord. It's for, it's for our blessing. It's for our good. The purpose was clearly established in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, if you remember. Remember how the, the book starts how it begins with a promise or a purpose from God to bless us. Remember, it's, it's blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of, the pro of this prophecy, and then also blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. That's verse 3. And from the very beginning, the reader is told that what he or she encounters in this book is something to be kept, 
and more on that in just a moment, but this to be kept for their blessing, for their good. You see, the Lord Jesus is head of his church, and he knows the church. He knows it in its fullness. He knows it down on, its, on every local individual level. If you remember how, how he was described in the opening vision of chapter 1, Christ Jesus was seen as glorified, exalted, and he's walking in the midst of these seven lampstands. And those seven lampstands, remember, they symbolize both those seven churches that Revelation was initially written to and passed around in, as well as the complete whole church throughout the age. In the number seven representing completion and perfectness in uh, apocalyptic literature. And the Lord Jesus was seen as radiant in glory and in all of his holiness. He had eyes of fire, remember? And he also had a double-edged sword that was coming out of his mouth. And we were left with the impression that he was about to inspect his churches with his blazing gaze to speak about what he saw taking place in them with you know, very penetrating words. And that is what he did do. He spoke to each of the churches that he, that he was seen walking in the midst of as symbolized by those seven lampstands, as well as then in general principle to all the churches throughout this whole age. Christ's words of exhortation to those churches are found not just simply in chapters 2 and 3, though, but all the way through the end of the book. There was specific instruction to seven first century congregations that encouraged holy living, purity, and doctrine in life, and perseverance to the end up front in those first two chapters. But then there's general instruction given to all of them until the very end of the book. And again, its, its purpose is to promote what we would call piety. That is to promote godliness among the churches, among the peoples of God, uh, true doctrine, holy living, right worship, and perseverance in Christ until the end, until Christ's return. And then comes these series of visions that are in fact telling us why we should do that. Now granted, it can be easy to lose sight of this purpose as one encounters a string of visions found in Revelation 4.1 through 22.5. Those visions are not what we are often most familiar with when it comes to God's word, but they also stand out for that reason as well. But you remember the general flow of these, these visions of heaven. Uh, they, they begin by showing us the exalted Christ in chapter 4. There in heaven, ruling and reigning with the Father. He's worshipped there. And there's a seal to be opened. And Christ Jesus is described as a lamb slain and as a lion. And he's the worthy one to open the scroll. And all of heaven rejoices uh, seeing that he's worthy. And then we are given a description of, of life in this age, of judgments and God's sovereign directing of all events. And then there is an interlude. And we see how God uh, perseveres his people or preserves his people through tribulation and how at the end, all of God's covenant promises will be realized. Then there's the, the full outpouring of God's wrath pictured. And after that, a recapitulation, the same story, but from a different angle. The seal gives way to the trumpets. And then more partial judgments are described. And then there's another interlude. And God's people are preserved in the midst of tribulation for he knows who are his. And then he comes again to the end with a full outpouring of God's wrath. And then we had a portrayal of cosmic conflict of redemption. And a dragon is seen pursuing this woman with a child. The child is then caught up to heaven. The woman is preserved in the wilderness. This is chapter 11, chapter 12. The dragon is cast down, but he continues his assault on the woman and her offspring, who is the church, through these two beasts. 
and then also what is described as a great prostitute, a false religion, civil government, and the pleasures of the flesh. And then there's another interlude. God will save his people. Another set of recapitulation. And then the cosmic battle comes, to, comes into focus again, but only now to end what with that one more final judgment and last judgment, the, the judgment of the great prostitute, the two beasts, and the dragon himself, all judged by Christ. Those who belong to these enemies of God go on to everlasting death, and those who belong to Christ go on to everlasting life. They're his bride. They go to the place prepared for him, for them by him, the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth, which is given attention in chapter 21 and in the first five verses of chapter 22. So it's easy to see how one could lose sight of the purpose and the intent of the letter with these visions that were shown. But we're helped along the way in our journey through, through them if we keep ever in mind that these visions were given to churches that were under attack to encourage them to persevere in Christ and be faithful until the end. And the visions accomplish three things. Number one, they show us how things are and how they will be in heaven and on earth in the time in between Christ's first and second coming. And Christians should walk in confidence in light of these things. You know, God is on his throne, ruling and reigning right now. He is sovereign over all. Second, the visions make clear the true character of things. I mean, it's often easy to be confused about what's going on if you just look at this world, but Revelation actually clears these things up. For example, the sinful pleasures of the world are seductive. Like a prostitute, the world's beauty is only skin deep, and her way leads to death, we were told. But the glory of God in Christ is true and everlasting. The beauty of the bride of Christ, that is the church, is genuine, and her way leads to life. Pursue Christ is the message. Flee worldliness. The visions of Revelation help us to see the reality that sin seeks to blind. And thirdly, the visions of the book of Revelation also reveal where human history is headed. Revelation reveals some general things about the future, not so that we might speculate about all the little details, like when will Christ return exactly and who exactly are these beasts, will they find their ultimate fulfillment in, etc. Not those things but so that we might pursue today, tomorrow, and every day until the return, Christ himself. What we think about the end, you see, will have a dramatic impact on how we live in the here and now. So John's apocalypse reveals things about the end. And so the, the end of the book closes in doing the same thing that the rest of the book does, has been doing. It's encouraging us to persevere in Christ. It's encouraging us to overcome in Christ, to worship God in Christ alone, to live holy lives, to flee idolatry, to oppose that which is false. And then what the visions do as well, it's reminding us why we should pursue righteousness, because of the love of God for us. This is his world. It is his kingdom. We are his people, and he is bringing it all to its goal that he has set forward from the, before the foundations of time. And so maybe you notice in the, in the full text that we read just a moment ago, in that conclusion, a reoccurring phrase. The conclusion consists of a series of five different exhortations to live holy in, in response to what we have heard. And the first one is found in verses 6 through 7, the second exhortation in 8 through 10, the third in 11 and 12, the fourth, 13 and 17, and the fifth in 18 and 20. And in them, there is this exhortation four separate times to, quote, keep the words of this book. 
uh, said one way or another. And so just like the, the book or the letter began, and remember, we read in verse 3, Revelation 1-3, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of, the, of this prophecy, or this book, in other words, are, and blessed are those who hear it and keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And so the conclusion brings us back full circle to what we saw the purpose of Revelation was back in the introduction to the letter. There is the same emphasis. So let's have that in mind, friends. This book is, is not meant to be mysterious and confounded. We are meant to keep and to hear and to believe and to put into practice all that this book communicates. So the first encouragement to holy living comes in the form of blessing pronounced by Christ uh, upon the one who, quote, keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Verse 6, And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true, and the Lord, the God of the Spirit of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what soon must take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Switches to Christ speaking, it would seem. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Well, why should we keep the words of the prophecy of this book? The answer is given in verse 6, because these words are trustworthy and true. John's told by the angelic messenger. And so why are these words trustworthy and true? Because they are the very words of God. Uh, The Lord, the God of the Spirit of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Verse 6, so God from the beginning of time has graciously revealed himself and his will to man. This he has done at times through the prophets. The spirit of the prophets is God. And this book is the product of divine inspiration. God sent his angel to show John, who is here numbered among the prophets, we see that later in Revelation 22 as well, about what must soon take place. So this book is to be read, believed, and obeyed uh, because it is the word of God. It is therefore trustworthy and true. The things revealed in the book must soon or quickly take place, we're told. And remember, soon is to be understood, not from our perspective, really, but from the perspective of the original audience who lived you know, 1,900 years ago. Now, how can it be true that the prophecies of this book of Revelation would soon or, or quickly take place uh, from when we understand it from the perspective of that original audience? Now, again, nearly 2,000 years ago. Well, three things should be noted. One, remember that much of what was revealed in this book finds its fulfillment not in future events near the second coming of Christ, but in the time in between Christ's first and second coming as history repeats. Okay, And, and we talked that, about that in light of 70 AD and the impact of the destruction of the temple as well too, which I think actually happened before this was written. But that, that event still happens in that time span in between Christ's first and second coming. And it's still, a, you know, these coming judges of Christ are still rightly said as a soon and as a quick thing. Uh, as we have seen, um, there have been many manifestations of, of these two beasts and the great prostitute. Put differently, it's not that a beast will arise from the sea once at the end of time, but that this beast from the sea has been present and active since the first century A.D., and we've seen different upbringings of this beast or examples even in our day. Uh, for John's initial readers, the beast symbolized Rome. And many Rome-like empires, many Babylons, have risen up to this present day and will continue to do so until the end of time. That's what Revelation has been telling us. The first century audience certainly saw fulfillments of these things. 
and every generation following also has as well. And secondly, remember that even the, the prophecies that will find their ultimate fulfillment at the end of time are partially fulfilled in time between Christ's first and second coming. Christ will come to judge fully and finally at the end of time, but he does come with partial judgments even now that remind us of that coming final judgment. Those were all described in the different, the, the seal, the trumpet, and the, the bowl judgments. And most of the judgments portrayed in the recapitulating, again, seal, bowl, and trumpet, and bowl cycles were not final and full, but they were partial and perpetual. And Christ will come at the end, at the end of time, to, to judge fully and finally. And yet he has come in judgment many already, many times throughout human history and especially, again, in 70 A.D. And in other words, things that will be consummated at the end of time have been inaugurated at Jesus' first coming. Thirdly, remember the prophecies of this book of Revelation will find their fulfillment, there are some that will find their fulfillment only at the end of time. Prophecies pertaining to the return of Christ, the bodily resurrection of the just and the unjust, the final judgment and the establishment of the new heavens and the new earth. Those are the next events on the timetable of human history. In a sense, they are eminent. They're, they're, in other words, there's, there's nothing left for God to reveal to us. This is the next thing to happen in God's cosmic plan of redemption. And notice as well the repeated reference to the eminence or nearness of the fulfillment of the prophecies of this book, again, that we just read. Verse 6, God sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Verse 7, Christ himself says, And behold, I am coming soon. In verse 10, John is told, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. In verse 12, Christ is again heard saying, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. And then in verse 20, again, Christ says, Surely I am coming soon. Well, this soonness or this nearness is not a problem as we understand that John received these visions as the last bit of inscripturated special revelation that God was giving, as well as rather that these things are already taking place, being that John received this message in the time between the first and second coming of the Lord Jesus. John received this message near the beginning of the end. Compare the end of the book of Revelation to the book of Daniel, the Old Testament prophetic book, which revealed things concerning the time of the end. We're going to go through Daniel after we wrap up Revelation as well. But in Daniel 12.4, there in Daniel 12.4, we read something that is similar to 20, Revelation 22. Daniel 12 is the last book in Daniel 12. But Daniel 12.4 says, But you, Daniel... Shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. In verse 9 of Daniel 12, the angel says, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way to the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. 
you see the conclusion of the prophecies in Daniel. Delay is communicated. Patience is communicated. The time of the end was a long way off for Daniel's perspective. The time of the end was not imminent for him, for Christ had yet to come and accomplish redemption. Daniel was not living in the last epoch of history of redemption, but for John, his readers, and for us, everything communicated to Daniel and in Revelation is eminent. For, for we're living in that last epoch of redemptive history. All that's left to come now is the second coming of Christ, the parousia. The kingdom has been inaugurated. The only thing left now is the consummation. And nothing is left to be accomplished except the return of Christ, the bodily resurrection, the final judgment, and the new heavens and the new earth. And so then, since these are the words that are trustworthy and true, given to us from the Lord, the spirit of the prophets, they matter for now because they must soon take place. And so how shall we respond? Well, Revelation tells us how, how it is that we're supposed to respond as well. From the beginning to end, the objective of the book of Revelation is to move people to keep the prophecies of this book. Keep is maybe a weird word to think about words and prophecy. You know, how do we keep them? Well, to keep simply means to obey. And that is how the word keep is used elsewhere in the book of Revelation. For example, in 12.17, we read that then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. To keep is to obey God's word in that context. In 1412, we read, here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Again, to keep is to obey. Other examples could be given. But notice this and think about it. If the prophecies of Revelation were given only for the purpose of revealing the future to us, then it's hard to understand how we could keep or obey these prophecies, right? Why would he be saying that if it has nothing to do with the original audience or even to us who are living today? You cannot obey a prophecy that simply says, in the future this thing will happen, but not for you, but for some others sometime from now super far off. That makes no sense. But once we settle with the idea that the prophecies of this book were given to promote holy living, then the meaning becomes clear. We're to receive the prophecies of this, of, that are contained in this book as true, and then we are to live in light of them, in accordance with them. The truths revealed in this book concerning God and Christ, heaven and earth, and the end of history demand a response. And blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. Warn everyone who hears the words of this book. Don't take away from the words of this book. We read all those. It demands a response. And we are to respond with faith and obedience to what God has revealed. This is what it means to keep the prophecies of this book. We are to read the book and we are to receive it as true. And then we are to order our lives in accordance with what the truth has delivered. So, friends, the question becomes, for you and for me, are you, are we keeping the words of the prophecy of this book? Are you living in a way that agrees with the truths revealed here? Are you obeying God and Christ in his word? Are you resisting the world, the flesh, and the devil? Are you storing up treasures for the world to come? Are you living for the glory of God? Are you trusting in God as the sovereign king of the universe that he is? 
Are you keeping the words of the prophecy of this book? Thoughtfulness is required here. Prayerfulness is, is required. You know, Lord, does my life sync up with what your word says and with what your word instructs? The question that we, that, that we should be asking ourselves is are we living in step with what God's word is communicating to us? And do you see that blessings are pronounced upon those who do? Blessed is the one who keeps the prophecy of this book. To be blessed is to have God's favor set upon you. To be blessed by God is to have that which produces true happiness. To be blessed in the book of Revelation is to be ultimately blessed with eternal life. The eternal reward that Christ won for you. You see, it's not exactly you know, keep the words of the prophecy of this book in order to make you blessed, right? That, that's not really the, the order that it's giving. It's not the message that is being conveyed. It's not work harder and earn your favor from God. Deserve your place in his kingdom. This isn't, this exhortation to keep the words of the prophecy of the book is not a trampling on of grace, but it's blessed is the one who keeps. The one who is keeping is blessed. The one who is believing is blessed. That person already has God's favor poured out upon them. The world, you see, can provide us with all kinds of happiness. The worldly person is happy when all is going well, when the sun is shining, when they're in love, when the money is coming in. But when the storms come, when the rains fall, when life is chaotic, the worldly person is given to despair. Why? Because the world and the things of the world are his treasure. But the one who is blessed in God is blessed even in the midst of great trials and tribulations. The things that Revelation was telling us are going to be experienced by many believers. And that the reason for that is because the world is not the source of their blessedness. God who is eternal and unchanging is the source of it. God is to be the Christian's treasure. And our God does not change. And that's why the book of Revelation is able to pronounce seven blessings upon those who walk faithfully with Christ in the world, while at the same time portraying the Christian life as one of, of tribulation and of one of, of struggle. The book of Revelation has not been shy about the fact that Christians face suffering. The Christian life is like a war. The Christian has real enemies. Christians are not immune from trial and tribulation. They should expect to suffer. If, especially so, if they are public with their faith. If, if, they're, if you're private about it, well, is that even a confession at that point? But if you're public with your faith before a world that hates the Lord God, there'll be some suffering that comes from that. Some will even die a martyr's death. But the book says that the one who has union with Christ Jesus is blessed. They have God's favor set upon them. Seven times at least, the Spirit seek to remind us of this blessed position in Christ. Again, one, three, we read this twice already, but a third time. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. 14, 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. 16, 15. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. 
19.9, And an angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. 26. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And then two more final ones from this conclusion that we've already read. Verse 7, And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And verse 14, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life that may enter into the city by the gates. Okay, so Christians are ones who are described as blessed here in, in Revelation. That's not to say that Christians will not at times struggle in life and through different conditions. Christians can be anxious. They can be overcome by worry. Christians do get depressed. Christians from time to time walk with a, a dark cloud hanging over them. And the reasons for this are complex, really. That's a whole series of, of sermons Honestly, there's, there's always a spiritual battle going on that we must be aware of because we're always engaged in it. Our confession in chapter 18, paragraph 4, does in fact acknowledge this matter of a spiritual struggle, of, of not feeling this blessedness that we're described as in, in Revelation. And it lists possible reasons for it, some sinful and some not. I'll just paraphrase it. So perhaps you know, the Lord will allow you to walk in darkness for a time in order to refine you and to purify your love for him. Uh, perhaps the evil one would be permitted by the Lord to tempt you intensely for a time. Again, for the purpose of refinement. But sometimes our pensiveness, our gloominess, does come as a result of our own sin. Perhaps you've sinned in word or in deed or in thought or even in omission, and the Spirit of God has been grieved within you. Perhaps you are, you know, sinning in thought, failing to believe what God has said in his word. Or perhaps you're sinning in your heart, loving the things of this world more than God. Brothers and sisters, the, the reasons for our spiritual sadness can be complex. But often it's traced back to sin. That's often what it is. Sin in thought, word or deed, lack of deed even. And I often find that Christians struggle with depression when they fail to see that this world, as God has revealed in his word, is, is when, they, when, they, when they're viewing the world as more than what God has showed us in his word, and when, when they have stopped fixing their eyes upon the true blessings that we have in Christ. And the book of Revelation should help us in this. It shows us how the world really is. It shows us the heavenly realm. It shows us who God is. And it shows us where all things are headed. Friends, let's keep the words of the prophecy of this book. And again, blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And, and remember the promises of this book. That we are Christ's and he is ours. And remember, as C.H. Spurgeon has said, better to have a Christian's day of sorrow than a worldling's day of mirth. And gladness, that is. Thomas Brooks wonderfully said, as there is a curse wrapped up in the best things God gives the wicked, so there is blessing wrapped upon the worst things he brings upon his own. As there is a curse wrapped up in a wicked man's health, so there is a blessing wrapped up in a godly man's sickness. As there is a curse wrapped up in a wicked man's strength, so there is a blessing wrapped up in a godly man's weakness. 
as there is a curse wrapped up in a wicked man's wealth, so there is a blessing wrapped up in a godly man's wants. As there is a curse wrapped up in a wicked man's honor, so there is a blessing wrapped up in a godly man's reproach. As there is a curse wrapped up in all wicked man's, a wicked man's mercies, so there is a blessing wrapped up in all a godly man's crosses, losses, and changes. Brothers and sisters, my prayer for us is that we would understand the book of Revelation and apply it. Because it's not simply a book that is meant to fill our heads with the grand and glorious visions that cause us to think about the future. Not that that's all bad. We want to think about the second coming of Christ, of course. To think about what's to come. But it also matters for us here and now. And we mustn't forget to apply it. This book is to be kept. Because if you're trusting in Christ, believing in Him, confessing Him, it is because you have been found favor with God. You have been found in favor with God. God has bestowed His favor upon you. He has bestowed such a great mercy upon you. You are truly blessed if that's the case. And a truly blessed man or woman, despite what things may be going on in the world or even in our individual lives, you are blessed because of what God has done for you, what he promises for you. And we'll have much more to say concerning the end of this chapter, but let's seek to encourage each other in the words of this book, being trustworthy and true, to keep the words of the prophecy of this book. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for telling us these things, for giving to us revelation, uh, this apocalypse that we know contains future promises that have yet to come to pass, but also at the same time, the vast majority has been instructing us on how to live now. So we pray that you would help us to be faithful, to flee idolatry, to flee every evil way as your word has instructed us over these past 22 chapters already. And we ask, Lord God, that you would help us remember the gospel and the blessed position of favor that we have being united to Christ Jesus, your beloved son. May you be glorified and exalted always in Jesus' name. Amen.